welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for all of your support on Patreon making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate. Relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, just general sex. I talk with old friends. I even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory where I was born and currently live. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Over the years, Bronwyn and I have built a friendship, and I've come to trust and care about her. Today, she exercises her vulnerability muscles. No, not those physical ones, although she does that too. Um, not, no, not on this podcast. Um, and we talk about racism at orgies and briefly touch on orgasms. She even models what accountability for racism can look like. We've had a lot of time to sort of go over the story, so I'm almost dismissive in the session of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I know, I know, I know. Um, and I realize that that may come across differently for people who haven't seen the whole course of my friendship with Bronwyn. But what I will say is I appreciate her so much. So in this session, we talk about our origin story and we also talk about attachment. He was more monogamous and I'm very open relationshipy. Mm-hmm. And we kept like fighting it, trying to like, okay, what makes it feel good? How do we do this? Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, it's just, it's never about monogamous open relationship. It's about can I sit with my fear long enough and soothe it and soothe it with you so that I can figure out how to feel safe in this world and then I can oh, totally. do anything. You strike me as someone who would have read about attachment theory and things oh, like that. Yeah, and everyone loves obsessed. attachment theory. <laughs> <laughs> because especially with how critical attachment is in children and the way that that translates later to things like sex, more specifically relationships. And there are, like, different extents to which um, some people self-soothe and, like, figure out, you know, like, oh, I actually do feel pretty safe versus, no, I don't feel safe right now and I need someone to help me soothe. Right. Which, to some extent, is all of us. Like, all of us do better when we have someone to help us feel safe in the world. I mean, we're relational beings. There's no one who doesn't. It's just um, to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, though, it's it's like you only really need one secure attachment figure as a kid, um, as again, I'm sure you know, um, to sort of... I mean, to succeed in life, but not to necessarily thrive, I would say. That's fair. No, that's actually a really good distinction. But yeah, See, this is, this is exactly what you have to offer. Nuance. um so yeah we could talk about attachment stuff and we could talk about in the context of sex or relationships um or we can talk about group sex how we met that kind of thing too let's talk about group sex and how we met it's too juicy not to okay let's do it feel free to talk about everything you can talk about my racist opening and like you navigating that if you want to too like I, did, I didn't, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I mean, I would be, you know what, actually, I think it's a good idea to bring it up because you, you managed it and handled it with such grace when I 
talk to you about it later. And I think modeling the ways in which we're flawed <laughs> and the ways in which we move through conflict in like a healthy resolution kind of way is a really positive mm-hmm. thing. It is positive. And uh, yeah, only if it's not activating for you. But no, yeah, it's totally happy. okay for me. I feel, com- I feel resolved. I feel complete on that. Thank you for checking in. Of course. <laughs> of course. Do you mind if I include this piece in the in the finished podcast, just to sort of? Oh yeah, no, that's totally fine. I just wanted to check with you because sometimes modeling how these things get negotiated is actually, I think, of some benefit to some folks. Oh yeah, it totally is. It's the real stuff. It's like yeah. this porn site I found. It's like all about like real sex like all different types of sex but like mm-hmm. she wants them to include video of like the negotiation part and setting up and blah 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 like don't cut anything out was her request to her submitters that's Book great videos yeah it's awesome yeah I, I really like that i like that idea of making sex ordinary even when it's spectacular yeah, because that, it, but you can't separate those things. Not in real that's life. Why, I think that's why porn people get the like numbing out thing because it's like it's too much intensity. There's no build. There's no aftercare. There's no like silliness, and and so the just intensity stops being fucking stimulating. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you have that silliness, you have like. I don't know whether it's shots of oxytocin or what, but there is moments of bonding when people demonstrate they're safe by being willing to play with each other. Yes. And that happens in group sex parties all the time. Oh, interesting. Being able to play to me is like a huge deal. And I think that pleasure and in safety for sure. Sure. But, um, I think that pleasure is, um, is all about like the, that like Valley and mountain. It's about the buildup mm-hmm. and the lack of, and then, Oh, there's something there. And then you go down again and then you go up and if you're just up, 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 it's, it, it becomes the same as being down. So it's funny because what you said also allegorically is true for sex in general. Sometimes you just try and shove your mountain into a Valley and, it goes up and it comes down. And if it just stays up the whole time, it's the same as being down the whole time sometimes. Are you doing a penis imagery right now? I was definitely doing, I was doing a bit for sure. <laughs> I, like, I was pretty sure you were. And then I was like, what? <laughs> I was trying to demonstrate yeah, down. taking a silliness break. <laughs> ah, there were layers, ah, layers. A podcast Gosh, yeah, is like an ogre. Is it in that it has sneaky layers? There are layers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really derailed that conversation, but well, I... <laughs> only because every time you like do a pun or any sort of reference, I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I have no idea. You know, that's fair. I would I... derail it if I could follow. <laughs> I definitely reference a lot of really obscure things. I've definitely... Okay, so perfect example of derailing things in a characteristic detour that is a la Victor. Um, I was in an orgy, and I totally accidentally derailed the couple next to me. Oh, fuck. Like, 100% peals of laughter, had to stop having sex. The woman, like, rolled off the guy laughing um, because they happened to be a head couple. And she was like... I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I need to know what led to that punch. <laughs> she heard the punchline and just lost it. And I was like, That's sorry, so you need to rewind. I need to hear this whole joke. And it was like, 
You know, you're within but like she was she was laughing her ass off before she heard the before part. she heard the joke just from what? hearing the punchline, yeah. uh, which is which is pretty good. I mean, that must um, have felt great for you. Maybe better than an orgasm. <laughs> it, it felt it felt pretty good. I felt bad for the guy because the guy was like, oh, oh okay, we're, we're doing this. Let's have a I conversation. Mean, he was unable to play. In that moment, I think I think he appreciated it because he was giggling, and then he was just disappointed when she rolled off. I think he was hoping yeah. to like giggle oh, fuck, gotcha. and she was like, "Time out." Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But this is one of the the messy parts about orgies in BDSM. You get this really clear separation that's like in the you know you don't interfere with someone else's scene. You don't you mm-hmm. don't talk to other people in scene. That's just not done. But then in like mm-hmm. in more of like the orgy community and like. Um, you know, the swingers community, there's a lot more of that camaraderie and just like talking with each other. And like, you can always go back to sex. Like that play component is, is included in, in, I would say more of a surface kind of way. Whereas in BDSM, I find the plays incorporated either in character or in scene or in, in a certain context, you still get to play, but it's like people being slightly bratty when they know you're okay with them being slightly bratty. There's like a lot of other ways we communicate play. So this was an example um, where I was making a Simpsons reference. Um, Literally, the woman that I was playing with, we weren't having sex. We were just making out and, like, enjoying each other, and it was wonderful. But she touched my beard and said, your beard is so soft. How do you even get it like that? And I just (laughs) full on, I was like, you set me up with that hook. Like, you're going to get a Simpsons reference, which is (laughs) lather, rinse, repeat, Always repeat. (laughs) And it's like not even especially funny, but when you're in the middle of an orgy tent and someone says lather, rinse, repeat, always repeat. (laughs) I think, I honestly think the woman next to us actually got the Simpsons reference and that's why it was so funny. Hmm. That's funny. I like it. I mean, it's just being able to laugh and play is about being able to be in the moment and it's yes. what's funny to all of us is different and in each little moment and and you guys were in a moment and you were both in the moment together that's right and i mean to reference red dwarf maybe you had to be there oh my god i don't know what you're referencing and i don't know nothing, it's okay so the the trick with a good reference is finding words that still work even for people who don't get the reference and saying maybe you had to be there is like a legitimate <laughs> That's exactly yeah. like epitomizing like what you phrase. just said. Yeah. <laughs> That's a phrase I'm familiar with. I am familiar with those words in that order. God, I feel like such an alien. <laughs> Honestly, you're the earthling. I'm the one that's making random references to pop culture that most people haven't seen. Like Red Dwarf is like a British sitcom from the 90s that strangely is still making episodes and they're not actually terrible. See, I thought Red Dwarf was a reference to one of the planets being called like Red Giant. I think I've heard something like that. Uh, Red Dwarf is a type of star. Okay, there you go. That's my brain knew something space was happening. Something space was happening. Mm. And specifically in this case, it was a science fiction comedy, which is why it's named after a science fiction-y term slash a science reality term. A science term. (laughs) Got it, got it, got it. So diverting back to, we're talking about group sex and sex parties, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about, oh yeah, right. We're going to do origin stories. Yeah, let's do our origin story. 
Well, we Music will try. Music there. Insert. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Is that like the Star Wars theme? I think I started going Star Wars theme, and I'm like, oh, no, do something else. And I put in, like, two other notes and then went back to the Star Wars theme. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I will have to think about whether I want to invest the time editing in music, but that is a possibility of what may happen for future Victor. <laughs> That's funny. Um, right. Origin stories. So, yeah. And honestly, it wasn't even that big a deal, but it was, like, my first ever... Oh, we're not allowed to say the name because the person who runs it would be upset if we talked. If, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Gotcha. Um, so we were at a sex party, generic, no TM. <laughs> and <laughs> I, the very first interaction I had walking in was with you. <laughs> it was not a great one. I mean, I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't you tell Why don't you tell oh the interaction then? I I'll feel put like you on I the would, spot. I would. Okay. Okay. So I don't remember it very well. That's why I okay. hesitate to tell it, but I can tell okay. what you told me. <laughs> well, I'm I'm super curious. So you don't remember you don't remember it really at all then? I I don't really. No. <laughs> that's totally no. okay. I'm it sorry. was that's okay. It's not especially significant. Um but the the long and short of it is, you know, I had um like a deep purple lipstick on and I guess it was probably like 5:36 like it was like there was still sun out, but it wasn't like perfect sun. It was kind of like golden hour sun. Um, so there, there I am, good, good listener. Um, <laughs> lack of hair blowing in the breeze. Um, golden, golden hour sunlight for those of you who are photographers or know what that means. And uh, yeah, and I run into this, you know, cute human, and I'm like, hi. And it was like probably the second or third thing you said to me where you were like, oh, is that like, is that like your natural lip color? And I was like, no, <laughs> it is purple. Um, Definitely not anyone's lip color. Yeah. Well, and so I'm sure it was just because of like bad lighting or like you just hadn't had a good look at it or something like there was, I'm sure there was some reason, but it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I was already nervous in the car, completely mm -hmm. unrelated to you because, you know, I'm going to my first sex party. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I think this was my first ever sex party of any kind. Mm -hmm. So I was going to my first ever sex party. Um, not including orgies at the local, at the regional Burning Man event. So I had technically been to sex parties before because I'd been to the orgy tent. Um, but to like an actual like group sex by invitation only, middle class, very like white collar mm. professionals, young professionals. It's like, oh, I have moved up in the world from burner hippies in a forest, which I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like them and I don't think there's necessarily any up about it. Um, mm. But, you know, there's sort of that all of this almost I don't want to say cachet exactly, but mm. I mean, there were like multiple no, kinds of fancy saying, cheese. Yeah, there definitely was. <laughs> Many kinds is. of, there's always is. Many kinds of fancy cheeses, like wines and like just, it, it's just like, it's more of an upscale thing. Um, but what I find is more and more, those terms all code for whiteness. Mm. Like you don't hear, you don't hear it as often when it's not at least correlated to whiteness, I guess. Anyways, mm. it's not, it's not a huge deal, but I was already nervous. I was like, mm. oh my God, am I going to fit in? Am I just going to be like, 
the one non-white person there. Like I'm really, I was just feeling really insecure about it. And so I think when I heard that comment, which was just like the smallest thing, it just really set off all of that insecurity because it was like, it was like a white person, me saying, sure. Oh, look, you're a person of color. Let me point that out to you right now. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Yeah. It, it, it did. <laughs> that is, that is, that is what it felt like at the time was very much like, Oh, I have been noticed and I'm not in the door yet. Yeah. <laughs> QQ. But I mean, watched. yeah, well, the, just, yeah, the, that I'm so visible and like noticeable that not in the door yet people have mm. noticed. Yeah. Fuck. But that's okay. Um, it happens. Like there's a lot more super intense, stuff that has happened around like racism stuff so yeah, i mean it's okay and, and it's not mean, but that doesn't mean it's not like worth leaning into or like you know having me learn something from that and hear what your experience was like because you approached me that's true a year or two later and um yeah i'm like grateful you felt safe enough to even tell me how that impacted you and to be able to hear about what that was like for you yeah it was just, it's really interesting. I think, I think it was, it was more that I didn't, I didn't feel almost entitled to take up that space. And I didn't really want to have the conversation at a sex party. I didn't want to like spoil your night. I didn't want to, you know, ruin oh. the mood. It's like, there are all these sort of like things that, you know, upstanding POCs are expected to do as emotional labor Gosh. for white folks that you didn't ask for. It's just like, mm. these are the, these are the sort of stereotypes that I've internalized about what's expected of me by white peers. Mm -hmm. And being able to code switch is I mean, I don't want to say it's the reason I got invited to that party. Um, I don't want to say I wouldn't have been invited if I couldn't code switch. But the shitty thing about racism is even when it's not there, there's like a shadow of it. Like you're always wondering. You're like, is that the case? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. And I wouldn't assume that about, you know, other friends of mine who are white. However, it could be the case. It's really hard to know because there's, you know, there's no control study. So there's just no like counterexample. You just have this one reality that we live in and you know, you do your best well, not I'm to sure spend it's like protective to assume. Right. That's always what you're walking into. Yes. Like a hundred percent. It is protective. You're so mm -hmm. much less likely to be let down. If you just assume that something that might've been racism was probably racism. Mm -hmm. There's nothing worse than being like, that's probably not racism. And then finding out it is and being like, I can't trust myself to make, oh, to gosh. keep myself safe. Oh, so it kind yeah, of touches well, back on that internal pressure. Yeah. yeah well, cause in the same way, I, you know, I don't want to say in the same way, cause it's really unfair to compare different kinds of oppression, but like there's sort of the way that femmes are told that their safety is their responsibility. And <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's like a little touch of that as well. If not a lot of that mm. in, especially at work, I would say it's more, there's more of that at work as a POC than there is in social circles but it could just be the specific social circles i run in hmm. but yeah no it was it was like just this point of tension and like slight hmm. discomfort and i think we both sensed it and and in fact i know you i i know that you sensed it because i recall you specifically bringing up that you felt that you had um because you you said something that was sort of like minorly not really misgendering but you you would sort of or perhaps you had like accidentally misgendered me or something really briefly. Mm. And it didn't really bother me. 
Um, but you sort of responded like, I remember you making, you mentioning to me that, that, you know, that you had made me uncomfortable. And I think you were just being really, um, empathic. Like you were just, you know, being you, like Mm. you were, you were detecting that something was a little amiss about Mm. how I was feeling and like my body language. Um, but you sort of, you couldn't, you couldn't seem to like pin what, what had specifically happened. That's so funny that like I can pick up on these, this tension, this emotional, whatever, but I can't. You, you, <laughs> you do. What I said was... But like, this is, this is also like kind of the reality of like not being white and being at sex parties because none of the sex parties I've been to have been run by non-white people. However, mm. if I were to go to a sex party run by non-white people, I would, I would not expect this kind of a thing to be at least as big of an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of like yeah. when femmes are in, you know, organizational um, positions of power at these parties, they're run differently. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, it's like we as in femmes, I identify as a femme. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand the things that have been done to us that we struggle with that, you know, microaggressions, macroaggressions. And so mm-hmm. we're going to protect for that or like invite people who understand those things, etc., mm-hmm. or call them out real fast or have safety for people who have those experiences within the, like, who did you have to go to? Like all the white leaders of this group. that's that's exactly it like there were no pocs where i could go and find well that's not true i shouldn't say that there like, were, can someone go address this i'm not doing this at a thing i'm attending there were other pocs there i didn't know them well enough to go to them sure and truthfully i think even today i'm not a, i'm not 100 percent on whether they share the same politics about bipoc politics as me hmm interesting it's it's a thing common among folks like myself um so folks who are you know um who are either born here or were raised here who have really Mm -hmm. internalized canadian values who have a lot of white friends who are lighter skinned pocs we tend to be like the fine upstanding pocs we're the ones that are okay you know in the sort of you know in that sort of group of individuals that tends to be white tends to be empowered there tends to be a certain degree of behavioral adaptation that is expected from POCs mm-hmm. for us to sort of take mm-hmm. on a certain degree of whiteness and sort of like mm-hmm. behave in a code switched way. And a lot of light skinned mm-hmm. folks like myself, um, behave like that. And I used to behave like that and I've stopped doing that now. And mm. it's lovely. It feels really good to be able to approach people and be like, yeah, remember that time you were feeling kind of uncomfortable. It's like, here's why, like, here's what was going on yeah. for me. And why it was difficult what has it what does it give you versus cost you like that moment you brought that conversation to me um it depends on the response i have i have literally had um you know a person i was good friends with who i liked to hang out with where you know they called me a word i didn't like they called me a savage in like a way that they thought was really positive but i experienced as like Mm -hmm. that is a really not great word and I would prefer you not call me that and it turned into this huge explosion like we didn't talk for a fair amount of time like super defensive tons of fragility that was expensive it was socially expensive I almost lost three friends over it and and (gasps) all I said all I said was like I don't like that word 
I don't want to be called that word. Say it as much as you want yeah. to whoever you want, just not me or when I'm around, please. Yeah, yeah, um, so simple. And I almost lost several friends over it. Like, it was a big deal. Um, yeah. And I definitely Jesus feel like Christ. people pulled away from me and there was like, but like, that's, that's how much it can cost. The difference is when, yeah. when we talked about it, it ended up being a bridge. It ended up being something mm. positive where you were like mortified and you listened really well. And then mm -hmm. you were like, yep, that sucked. That was totally on me and I won't do that. And yeah. like, thank you for telling me, which like, how expensive is that? Not super expensive. Like if yeah. people take right. it well, it's really not that expensive for me personally, because you know, for me, there isn't tons and tons and tons of trauma around bringing up racism. And I don't know why okay. that is. It's like, you know how there are oh, some, there are some like traumatic experiences that some people internalize really hard and other people don't. Yeah. I'm one of those people that just totally. like, yeah, that like, just despite the fact that, um, I've had really bad experiences bringing up racism, it's, ah, it's, it isn't traumatic. You've gone through traumatic things that did not traumatize you. Correct. So your for body. Yeah. Your that's mind. right. So for me, it's almost like going into those conversations. I do that defensive thing of expecting complete white fragility, expecting anger, mm, expecting defensiveness. Course, yeah. And I think the only reason that conversation I brought up was upsetting to me was because I just didn't think people would get fragile over please don't call me this word yeah that was a situation where you weren't bracing for that you were That's like it's right. gonna be fine <laughs> right whereas like you know talking to someone who like you have no way of knowing how people are going to take it regardless no. of like yep. what they do for work good god yes good like hello big yes to that <laughs> <laughs> you have no way of knowing so like from my perspective no. i was like i don't know this person super super well even though we've like fooled around a lot and we actually had fun like after that incident too mm -hmm. like we ended up actually <laughs> having fun a couple of different ways which was which was good for me like the acts that mm -hmm. i you know consensually chose to do with you i was really good yeah. with but again yeah. that comes back to that whole like traumatic thing not necessarily traumatic it just really depends yeah. on the person uh, yeah and you you're comfortable with what you're comfortable with again like you yeah in charge of your own experience and totally body and um yeah and again i'm so sorry my good god shock <laughs> like i just remember like being total shock when you told me and um you know i have i have work to do around thinking before i speak and around a, a big work that I've been doing this last year is like, stop, you don't know everything. Like, yeah, sure, you've been educated and stuff. Yeah, sure, you have these experiences. But, like, you are always going to, like, assume your own whiteness. And, like, I have the ego of a man. And that's why I, like, speak without <laughs> thinking. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of learning and... Uh, humbling of myself to um figure mm -hmm. out how to be kinder honestly and and more um considerate well i appreciate you sharing that mm -hmm. and i appreciate I... you sharing it with me i like for me like as a woman i i have been traumatized by bringing stuff up with people and the anxiety that comes up before i do mm -hmm. is huge that's why i asked about the cost i was like oh my gosh mm -hmm. i can't imagine what that was like to have to you know think about bringing it to me doing the act of bringing it to me i'm like oh goodness but apparently that was not your experience <laughs> well i honestly i hadn't planned to but we were both speakers at a con 
So it was like, mm. we're both in our professional mindsets mm. and I find people tend to be better able to cope with that in sometimes in those situations. Oh, yeah. No, I a hundred percent. I, my clients, um, tell me how I hurt them all often. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> and, like not often, like it happens every week, but I mean, when they sure. feel hurt by me, they bring it up yeah. and then we talk through it. And it's so much easier to do that in yeah. my professional body where I'm like, Oh, of course, like, tell me everything. And like, uh, what do you notice there? And like, what can I do to help right. you feel safer right now? Like, it's just so much easier to do that when you're like set up and orienting towards someone else. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I didn't know whether you, I don't think, I don't think you had to speak soon after that. I, I want no, to, I, the day was done. The day was done. Oh, wonderful. Good. Cause I was like, I really hope I was courteous and when I chose to do that, but <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. No, good, good me from done. the past. Good me yeah. from the past. <laughs> Um, I do not struggle with consideration. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, But yeah, no, I mostly just felt like I was in a pretty resourced place. I felt pretty good about how my talk went. I wasn't worried about like blowing my mood. So I was like, oh, also this person who I think is really attractive, but I have this like baggage with is here. And like, we haven't spoken a long time. And you would sort of like, you'd sort of like, um, I don't know whether you said hi to me or I said hi to you. Can't remember, but I came up, I believe I came up to you. We both seem super positive too. Like we're both just really happy to be there. And yeah. we're talking about like unlearning, like my, my talk was on, um, cause it was a men's convention, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really weird for me. I don't normally do men's education, but right. I was invited to, and I was speaking about like accountability and like masculinity and like how those things tie in and how to, to sort of do your best to try and be in an integrity with yourself. So I was like primed to think about all this stuff. And then I was like, I feel like I should be demonstrating this by actually (laughs) talking about my boundaries and like just sort of like bringing this up and just like touching base. Cause I really got the feeling you had no idea. And then I brought it up and yeah, you were great about it. I mean, I feel like if I had any idea, I would have like brought it up. I, I just, um, I live a life of bringing up like hurt. Like I really believe in that. And Mm I, I like, even I say to my friends repetitively, because I know there's so much counter conditioning to this. Like, Mm -hmm. and if you remember something from four years ago and all of a sudden you can't get past it, bring it to me. I will not reject you. I will not tell you that it doesn't matter anymore. And why are you bringing this up now or blah, blah, blah. Like the most you're going to hear from me is I can't right now. Let's do it at this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like, I don't know. I just think that's good relationship. And I just think when we, when it's not safe to bring our hurt, like, are we really safe? Like, is this good love? Yeah. I resonate with that. Yeah. It's something I didn't do as well as I could have in my past relationships, but I'm trying to be a lot better about it now. And it seems to be working out really well in my current one. Oh, amazing. That sounds amazing. Did it feel scary to do in your past relationships? I think there was a sense of betrayal that people hadn't told me sooner, which doesn't make any oh. sense and isn't really about them. That's definitely like a me struggling with my own things. Like, And truthfully, that's probably tied into, you know, my first ever relationship, someone I was deeply head over heels in love with, um, yeah. also tried to kill herself um, without yeah. telling me. And there was this feeling of not so much abandonment, but there was that. But then there was also just this feeling that, that she couldn't talk to me. And, you know, she was struggling with other stuff that was external to our relationship. There was like, 
not that I'm trying to say like, I was a perfect angel. That was probably the relationship in which I behaved the worst because it was my first relationship and I had a lot of right. toxic, you know, abusive parenting and, and shit that I needed to really work through. Mm-hmm. I was no angel in that relationship, but also, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in a relationship with someone who tries to off themselves, it's, it's rarely Gosh. just about you. Um, I was also like, I was 17 when I got into that relationship and this happened when I was like, had just turned 18. So like, I did not oh have Lord. the, like, I didn't have the... <laughs> yeah, I know. I I feel like if that if that ever comes out and someone's not dating me, there's this instant like I cannot imagine <laughs> like, going through that. I, yeah. Do, but also just like do I want to date this train wreck of a human? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm obviously saying that jokingly because we've obviously already ta- we've already talked about dating and decided that it's probably not uh not a super compatible match. Yeah. Um, but that's also a really positive thing to know, like to know when a person can't give you what you need, it gives you all of this latitude and space and to just breathe and talk about like, so what does our relating look like? Oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, it's a breath of fresh air to not have any guilt or shame around not being everything a person needs and still being able to have good sex and like intimate conversations and like care about Mm -hmm. someone, you know? Absolutely. It's so right. Like boundaries are freedom in so Mm -hmm. many ways. And that, you know, surprise, surprise, you didn't have perfect boundaries when you were 18 years old. Right. Like, unfortunately, we're not. Now, I do feel the generation is shifting and Mm -hmm. people are starting to really prioritize this shit. But like, unfortunately, our parents' generations did not have a clue about what those (laughs) words meant. Yeah. um, Dr. Bryson and Dr. Siegel, the neuroscientists that like to write books about parenting, just published last year um, Mm. a book called The Power of Showing Up. And it's basically Mm. just attachment theory in children and Mm. like language you can use that's age appropriate and that parents will understand. So like instead of talking about hyper arousal and hypo arousal and being in the window of tolerance, they're like, oh, I can really see you're going into the red zone or you're going you're kind of dropping down into the blue zone or like you know, talking about what things feel like when you are in the green zone and like how different do they feel right now? Oh, fuck. I love that. Right. It's so useful to have like easy language that you can use with children. And then I have nieces. So for me, it's like, you know, one of them. It's so simple, but I literally haven't heard someone do that. And it's just immediately you understand. Yeah. As, so that's exactly what I like the feeling I had. I was like listening yeah. to it, listening to these like people who have their doctorates be like, <laughs> like those, those are really big feelings. It really sounds like you're, yeah. you're a bit in the red zone right now, buddy. And just like ways of trying to like connect and empathize with kids before like redirecting them to other things and like being able to mm-hmm. hold firm boundaries with kids, even when, you know, kids are having these big feelings and reactions and being able to empathize. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, Empathy, like they, they can like be in, I really, I'm trying to spread the word. You can be super hypo or hyper aroused. You can have really big emotions or be really sad and mm-hmm. still be grounded. Mm-hmm. That is a totally, I can, I can raise my voice intensely and tell you that I'm serious about something and be completely regulated because mm-hmm. I'm not out of control of myself. Doesn't right. mean I'm not activating you with that tone of voice, right? But I can be grounded, right? Because we're all activated by different things. But totally, like, you can have huge feelings and be grounded. You can be hyper and excited and bouncing around and grounded. Grounded is when we lose con- or not being grounded is when we lose control. It's that feeling of right, I'm not in control of my actions as much. Like I'm 
maybe I'm dissociating a bit. Maybe my thoughts are racing and words are running out of my mouth. I, I love that you, that you use that, that word dissociating because like the way that, that I heard that discussed as kids as a kid was, you know, being beside myself. It's like right penciled into the simple language we use all of the most complicated mm. concepts. Oh, that's beautiful. Being beside myself. And like, how lovely. Oh, look, I'm being beside myself. Great. Let's like just be here right now and like, let me be beside myself because that's where I need to be. Yeah. And sometimes there is space and resources to hold that. And other times there isn't. And you're in the middle of a, you know, a market or like a, <laughs> yeah. oh. a supermart or something. And you've got a screaming child and you're like, I understand that like, it looks, looks to me like you're really angry right now. It must be so upsetting when you can't have those candies that you want, but I'll tell you what, we can talk about this more when we get home. How would it feel if I let you do this other thing instead? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really cool to sort of be learning all of these skill sets and the thing I find most interesting as a human who likes to do service and take care of other people in certain specific ways, um, because service is always conditional. Like mm. I know there are people that feel like service isn't for them. And if that's true for you, that's cool. So when I say always, I'm making a generalization that, you know, sure. obviously doesn't apply to every human. But for me, I think service is always conditional. Whenever I've seen people do service, it's almost always been conditional. It's like people tend mm. to gravitate towards specific things that they enjoy doing service over. Hmm. And they're like yeah, specific. There's like specific things that just give you a certain degree of satisfaction in service. Like seeing something done really well. Mm, that's nice. Sometimes for me, that's finger banging. <laughs> Which isn't to say that I do it especially well, but it's to say that I like how I do it and the people I do it with often like how I do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely that feeling of like completion or of like things are going well. <laughs> That's such an interesting idea, a feeling of completion. I wonder if, if that's part of why giving people orgasms feels so good to me is this feeling of not just mastery that like, oh, I've learn to do something that's actually fairly not not necessarily hard but somewhat challenging and you have to put a certain amount of effort into learning how to do it and mm. and then you have to put a specific amount of effort into learning the specific person because it's not the same for everyone yes snap 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean that's pretty much all i had to say about you know group sex and attachment <laughs> <laughs> and i'm done the end. And completion. <laughs> you now know everything you know. Um, if you want to learn more about attachment and relationships, you should probably read Polysecure Poly by Jessica Fern, which takes attachment theory and decenters monogamy and talks about it in a way where you can change your amount of attachment. I also think it's super interesting to read what is being written for kids on attachment. So for those of you who are not therapists, <laughs> focus on that sort of stuff. Um, you may get something out of that book, The Power of Showing Up by Dr. Bryson and Dr. Siegel. And yeah, I don't think I have anything else on the topic. I feel like I just talked for a long time. <laughs> it was great. I'm glad you liked Lovely. it. Did you have any closing remarks on attachment or group sex? I mean, I feel like we didn't really talk about group sex and attachment, but Ooh, okay, I'm we'll we'll do that. The dynamics of I felt like I feel like when it comes to 
racialized experiences and racism Mm -hmm. like the very least I can give is like not being fragile Mm -hmm. it's like it feels like that's the bar that I'm hearing from so many people. Like, just don't get defensive and listen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely like it's a fantastic bar. It's it's like no one's expecting you to know the things that you don't already know. Yeah. They're yeah. just expecting you to do your best to be compassionate when someone's spending the energy when they've chosen to invest in your relationship. Yeah. Well, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, another thing that's been so helpful for me to like try to avoid more microaggressions is um, exposing myself to different BIPOC groups, social media, Mm -hmm. where people talk about this shit. And I'm just like, oh. So you wanted to talk about the sex origin story. Maybe. That's not um, how, how do you feel? Oh, right I take it you want to take a break. That sounds to me like you're feeling complete or tired. Is that right? I, I, I think I do feel tired. I think that's maybe what the sigh was about. Okay. Um, that was so. That was just like a nice conversation, though. I was like, hearing you. Well, thank you for being on another episode of Intimate Interactions with me. So, how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash intimate victor or tweet at me at intimate victor or follow my Instagram at guess what intimate victor pretty easy right if you can spare the cost of coffee to help keep the show going head to patreon.com forward slash victor salmon we hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours to enjoy. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. The opening music is Gymnopédie No. 1 by Eric Satie, and this closing music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI saxophonist. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may all of your most important relationships be filled with intimate interactions. Be well. <laughs>